0: Lake and worship team, what a great set of songs uh, for this morning. And when I hear that last song, I think of first Corinthians three eleven when it says, There is no foundation other than that which has been laid, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. And our hope is in Christ, and there is no other foundation that we should build our lives upon other than Him. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to First Peter chapter three this morning. And that's going to be the text of our message, verses 15 and 16. But this morning we're starting a new series. Do you know why you believe what you believe? Do you know why you believe what you believe? And today is just going to be an introduction to this topic. And and I'm sure all of us this morning who are believers could state what we believe about creation. We could state what we believe about God. We could state what we believe uh, about Jesus and about salvation. But you see, it's just not knowing what we believe. We need to know why we believe it. And when we articulate why we believe what we believe, we engage in what is called apologetics. And apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia. Now this does not mean that we are apologizing for our faith. It doesn't mean that we're saying, I'm sorry I believe that God exists. Or I'm sorry that I believe that the Bible is true. Or I'm sorry that I believe that Jesus is the only way or there is a heaven and a hell. You see, apologia, apologetics, it has nothing to do with apologizing for our faith. But it has everything to do with defending our faith. And when people ask us questions about our faith, it's, It's a rationalizing our faith. It's giving intelligent reasons for our beliefs. It's a verbal defense of what we believe. You know, questions are a very important part of life. Everyone has questions. And I think one of the most important questions ever asked is in John 18, 37 and 38, when Jesus was before Pilate, before his crucifixion. And Jesus told Pilate, he said, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Jesus said this because Jesus himself in John 14, 6 stated that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And then in verse 38 of John chapter 18, Pilate looks at Jesus and he asks him this question. What is truth? You see, this is a very weighty question because what you think is truth it affects everything about how you live and how you relate to others and in fact to begin considering what we to believe is true every person must confront four basic questions we must confront the questions of origin we must uh, confront the questions of of the meaning of life and morality and destiny how did life come to be in the first place what is the purpose of my life How can I choose what is right and wrong? And then what is going to happen to me when I die? The simple answer for us as believers as to what truth is and to these four questions is Jesus. Because if we were to ask ourselves as believers these four questions, the the perfect response is Jesus. How did life come to be in the first place? Jesus What's the purpose of my life? Jesus. How can I choose between right and wrong? Jesus. What happens when I die? Jesus. You see, Jesus is the answer for us as believers to all of those questions. And if Jesus is truth, which he should be as he is the only truth, then we are to live our life and relate to others according to his commands and his word. And this leaves no room for you or me or anyone else to insert what we think is truth. However, when you live in a godless culture that ignores God and doesn't believe He exists, or at least lives like He doesn't, you live in a culture that doesn't believe the Bible, you live in a culture where people define truth for themselves, you can't defend your faith simply by saying it's true because God said it. It's true because the Bible said it. And even though this is a true statement, this statement is not going to make any difference to those who don't believe the Bible and and that God exists if they do not believe in God, because it's not going to matter to them what God says. And one of the primary reasons students who grow up in church and graduate and never return is because the church often neglects to teach them the why behind our beliefs. You see, they have social media. They have friends, they have teachers, they have professors and others telling them why they shouldn't believe. And we as the church who have the truth should be telling them why they should believe and not just what they should believe. And even though what we believe is so important, the why behind it is so significant and cannot be ignored as we live in a culture that is full of unbelief. And even though we should be able to say because the Bible says it, That doesn't fly in our culture today. And we just can't simply argue truth from the Bible. We need to be able to give intelligent and well thought out answers for why we believe what we believe. We need to be able to to give an apologia, a defense of our faith. And there is no doubt that our faith is not popular. But neither is our faith irrational. You see, we don't don't have a, a blind faith. Our faith is is not a, a blind leap of faith. It's not here goes nothing. That couldn't be any further from the truth. Years ago, Josh McDowell came out with a youth study called Don't Check Your Brains at the Door. And the premise of this study is that just because you are a believer doesn't mean that you've lost the capacity to think. And in this study, McDowell gives answers that make sense for the toughest of questions. He exposes common myths about God. He exposes common myths about the Bible and religion and life to show how Christianity stands up to the test of fact and reason. And what is interesting about Josh McDowell is he was an atheist who set out to disprove the existence of God and the truth of Scripture. And during his investigation, he realized that all the evidence pointed to the truth of Scripture and the fact that God does exist. And he went from criticizing the Christian faith to defending it. He wrote such books as Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Actually, he has two versions, version 1 and version 2. And then he wrote More Than a Carpenter. This same thing happened to C.S. Lewis, who started out as an atheist to disprove the existence of God and the truth of Scripture. It also happened to Lee Strobel, who was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune, who, who was writing a series of articles on why Christianity is a myth and God doesn't exist. And C.S. Lewis and Lee Strobel came to the same conclusion that Josh McDowell did, that the evidence points to a living God and the truth of Scripture. You see, once the evidence is presented, the tenets of the Christian faith can't be denied. Just not because what we say, but because the evidence proves it. And as we go through this series, we're going to grapple with such questions as how do we know God exists? How do we know the Bible is true? Hasn't science disproved God and Christianity? How can a loving God send people to hell? How can there be a loving God with so much evil and suffering in the world? Is Jesus the only way? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? And as we go through these series, I want you to understand and grasp how you can answer some of these tough questions and defend your faith. And how you can share the truth of scripture with others. And this morning I'm going to lay the groundwork by sharing why apologetics. Why is it necessary? How do we prepare to share a defense of our faith? And then how do we practice a defense of our faith? And my prayer is that by the end of this series that you'll be able to say just not I know what I believe. But I know I believe or I know why I believe what I believe. And before I read 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, I want to give you some context of 1 Peter. Peter is writing to Christians who are suffering for their faith. They're being persecuted for their faith. Peter is encouraging them to stay strong and to not compromise and giving them insight on how they can maintain their faith in the midst of the persecution and the suffering. So 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 says this. Actually, I'll start in verse 13 to give it context. And who will harm you if you are passionate for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be disturbed. But set apart the Messiah as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. However, do this with gentleness and respect, Keeping your conscience clear so that when you are accused, those who who announce your Christian life will be put to shame. The first thing I want to share is why apologetics? It's a biblical command. It's a biblical command. It's a directive. It's a mandate for all believers. Apologetics is just not for the theological elite. It's not just for pastors. It's for every Believer, 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, which we just read. He said, always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. Jude 3, Jude said, I urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. 2 Corinthians ten four and 5, Paul admonishes us to destroy arguments and every opinion raised against the knowledge of God. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the moment you committed your life to Jesus, you committed to being a Christian apologist. Every believer needs to know the basis of their faith and to be able to defend it. And if people know you are a believer, which they should, they are going to ask you some difficult questions. And you need to either be able to give them the answer to their question or find the answer for them. And if someone asks you a question and you don't know, don't make something up. That's the worst thing you can do. Instead, tell them that's a great question. Let me get back to you on that. And find people who can help you answer the question that was asked of you. But apologetics is a biblical command. It's mandated in Scripture. It also, it builds our faith. If you're going to defend your faith, you better have knowledge of your faith. If you're going to defend your faith, you better... Understand your faith. And I believe the reason that so many people are walking away from the faith today is because they don't understand it. 2 Peter 3.18 says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the way to gain knowledge, the way to grow in our understanding and our faith, the way that we learn theology and central doctrines of our faith is by studying God's Word And when we study God's Word, it sharpens our discernment and we are able to distinguish between what is true and what is false and it leads to spiritual growth. Because when we study God's Word, it confirms our faith. It affirms that our hope is not based on myths, but our hope is based on trust. It affirms that we do not have a hope-so-religion, but we have a no so salvation It also gives us boldness in evangelism. Apologetics, it gives us boldness in evangelism. I believe one of the, the fears of Christians for sharing their faith is they're going to be asked questions they don't know how to answer. So apologetics, it makes evangelism more effective because it allows us to explain the gospel to unbelievers. It gives us confidence to respond to questions that we may be asked. It gives, us as, uh, it gives unbelievers a rationale for, uh, for believing, a reason to believe. And sometimes it's not just telling people that they need to believe. Sometimes it's telling people as to why they need to believe. In apologetics it's not about winning arguments. Apologetics is not about proving who's right or wrong. It's not about engaging in debates. It's about sharing the gospel and seeing lives transformed by the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. You see, we can't make people believe. We can't make people have faith what we should be able to tell them why they, why they should believe what we believe. And if you don't think you need apologetics, just try to witness sometimes. There's going to be a high probability that you're asked a question that, that you may not be prepared to answer. On mission trips, I've seen this numerous times on mission trips where, where we were evangelizing in a godless culture like St. Louis. Just two years ago, we were on a mission trip. We were going through a park evangelizing, and I ran into at least three people who were metaphysicalists. How many of you know what that is this morning? I didn't know. I was like, what is that? Let me tell you what it is. I had a learning experience. It is a science, philosophy, and religion that is based on the life, teaching, and demonstrations of all master teachers. In other words, it's a bringing of all the religions together and taking what they want to believe. And generally, it says that there is not one concept of God but many. Some believe God is male and female. Many of them believe they have out-of-body experiences and have died many times. And they believe that you can have a connection with God apart from Jesus Christ. Now, you try to witness with someone like that simply from Scripture. Good luck. Good luck. You never know who you're going to run into and the questions they may ask. And scripture says we have to be ready to give a defense of our faith. And a great example in in scripture on how to use apologetics is Paul in Acts 17 at the Oropagus where he went through the city of Athens as he was waiting on Silas and Timothy to show up. And he just didn't sit on a bench and wait for them to show up. He started walking through the community of Athens. And he saw all these altars to these gods. And he came across this one that said, here's an altar to an unknown God. And Paul said, aha, I have an idea. I know who this unknown God is. And they don't. And I'm going to share with them who this unknown God is. And it's going to be the living God that I believe in. And when you read the account that Paul gives in Acts chapter 17, you'll notice how he did it. He spoke to them on their turf. He started on their terms. He took something from their culture. He took the tomb of the unknown God to share with them about the Christian position and the truth of God and the truth of Jesus Christ. He used something from their culture to support his argument. He used their own poets to support his argument that God exists and God is true and his word is true. And then he called for a response to what he had just taught. And scripture says some denied it, some believed it, and some continued to search. You see apologetics it was a regular part of Paul's ministry. It was part of his evangelism strategy in Acts 18:4 it says he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. Acts 18, 19, when they reached Ephesus, he left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and engaged in discussion with the Jews. Acts 19, 8, 10, he entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, engaging in discussion and trying to persuade them about the things related to the kingdom of God. You see, apologetics was a regular part of Paul's evangelistic strategy because he understood not just what he believed, he understood why he believed it. And this should be a part of our evangelism strategy as well. So how, how do we prepare? We know it's a biblical command. We know it gives us boldness in evangelism. We know it builds our faith. But how, how do we get to that point? How do, we, how do we prepare? The first thing we need to do, we need to pray. First Chronicles 16, 11. Look to the Lord in His strength. Seek His face Always. Prayer is is critical, it's crucial to defending the faith. Because only God can enlighten us to His truth. Only God can give us His wisdom to present it in an effective manner. And don't be prideful with your knowledge. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't think you have all the answers, but trust and rely on the one who does. And pray that God would soften the heart of the one you are sharing with that he would open their eyes and their mind and their heart to receive his message and to accept his truth. Before you engage in defending the faith, make sure you're prayed up. Make sure you've asked God for wisdom and discernment in speaking to someone about the truth of Scripture. You also need to study the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 14-17 says, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of. Paul says, don't stop learning, keep learning. Because you know those from who you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Before we can defend our faith, if we're going to be an effective apologist... We have to be grounded in God's Word. If you don't know God's Word, how are you going to defend it? You can't defend something you don't know. And There are unbelievers in our world who know the Bible better than believers. And there are unbelievers who read God's Word, who study Scripture just so they can trip Christians up and even cause Christians to doubt. You know, I think when Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses come to the door, you know what many people, including Christians, do? They turn out the lights, they close the curtains, they hide behind the couch acting like nobody's home. But wouldn't it be great if we invited them in and were able to have a conversation with them by defending our faith and sharing what we believe and why? What a great evangelistic opportunity that is. And I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to promise, but I almost would, would bet that if you invited them to come in, they're not going to come in. Because they're not used to that. They know they met somebody that, that, that is probably smarter than them and wiser than when it comes to Scripture. So next time somebody knocks on your door and wants to have that conversation, say, you know what, come in, let's have a cup of coffee and share a meal together. Don't worry, you're not going to have to. Because they're not going to come in. But it's ironic that they are willing to have a conversation with us about what they believe. But we're not willing to have a conversation with them about what we believe. And I believe the reason is that, that we may not know the answers to the questions they may ask. You see, knowing God's word is the starting point of apologetics. It's crucial if we're going to defend our faith. And it's important for us to understand the essential elements of Christianity. We need to understand creation. We need to understand salvation. We need to understand redemption and justification and sanctification and glorification. We need to understand all these things and be able to explain it to others in a way that they can understand it as well. And if you know what you believe and why, you'll be able to identify false teachings. If you know the truth, if you know God's Word, you'll be able to identify what is counterfeit and what is false. But in order for us to get to that point, it's incumbent upon us to study the Bible, to know why Scripture is trustworthy, because its validity has been attacked in our culture. Its validity is being attacked in our culture, and it will continue to be attacked in our culture. Also, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. We need to ask the Holy Spirit for opportunities to share and for the boldness to share and give us the words to speak. And I promise that He will give us the words to speak. Luke 12, 11 and 12 says this. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, He's talking to His disciples about being persecuted for their faith. He said, do not worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. I've been in spiritual conversation when I was sharing the gospel and I would say something I would think to myself, did that just come out of my mouth? Did I just say that? Because it wasn't me speaking, but God through the Holy Spirit speaking through me and for me. There's no way I could have come up with what I said. I'm not that smart. It was only through the power of the Holy Spirit that was, I was able to ask the, or answer the question that was asked of me. And the reality is only the Holy Spirit can change someone's heart. Only the Holy Spirit can change someone's mind so they will accept the truth of the gospel. And we can share the most convincing argument. And we can have the most persuasive speech. But apart from prayer and the Holy Spirit, it's not going to matter, because it's not the persuasiveness of our speech, it's not the cleverness of our arguments, or the piling on of historical evidence, or archaeological data that does the real work. In fact, these are all means that God uses to challenge a person's worldview, to challenge a person's belief, but ultimately, it is the work of the Holy Spirit that acts to change the hearts of others. Does this mean that we as Christians should do absolutely nothing and remain silent and and just ask the Holy Spirit to work? Absolutely not. The Holy Spirit works through our words, works through our arguments and our evidence to lift the veil off the eyes of those who are blind to the truth of God. And so God, through the Holy Spirit, does the work. But we are the tool and the vessel He uses to reveal His truth to others. We also need to consult resources. There's a lot of great resources out there to help you with with apologetics. And there's nothing wrong with supplementing our, our study of the Bible with good books to deepen our understanding of Scripture and provide insight and knowledge on how we can end our faith. However, do not use books and other resources as a substitute for reading and studying God's Word. Only use them as supplements to what you've studied from God's Word. And there are some great resources. C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, The Case for Christ, and all the other case books by Lee Strobel. I mention evidence that demands a verdict by Josh McDowell. There was a Muslim-turned-Christian, Nabil Qureshi, who wrote No God but One, Allah or Jesus. And I know Ravi Zacharias had a lot of missteps in morality, but he wrote some great books that are theologically sound on apologetics. There's a contemporary apologist named Frank Turek. He wrote a book called, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. There are great websites and organizations you can turn to. Answers in Genesis by Kim Hamm. Crossexamine.org by Frank Turek. GotQuestions.org is a great resource. You can type in any question you want and it will give you the answer based on Scripture. There's, over, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of questions that it will answer for you. Use Google, use technology to our advantage to further the kingdom of God. I'd encourage you to read testimonies of these these guys who were atheists, who became Christians, of, of Lewis and Strobel and McDowell and others. See what convinced them to accept Christ. I promise you it wasn't with the Bible. They didn't start with the Bible, they read the Bible to disprove it. But all the other facts they uncovered supported what was in Scripture, and they said it has to be true. There's no other option. And actually, Lou Strobel, the movie Case for Christ, came out four or five years ago. It is a great movie on the the process that he went through to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. You see, God has given us great resources. And we need to take advantage of them. I'd also say familiarize yourself with some different religions. I didn't say study different religions. Why is it important to familiarize yourself? If you're talking to a friend or or neighbor or someone at work who belongs to a different religion or a different faith, you may want to know some of the things they believe and how you can build a bridge and have a conversation with them and start the ball rolling and talk to them about Jesus by having that common ground. If someone's a Muslim, most Muslims believe in a creator God. Muslims deny evolution as fact. In fact, they claim that all of the God of Islam is creator. And most Muslims believe the creation happened in six literal 24-hour days. They acknowledge facts about Jesus and prophets and heaven and hell and so much more. In fact, their holy, what they call their holy book, the Quran, contains 93 verses that speak on the person of Jesus. It even talks about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. They view Jesus as a great prophet who's performed miracles that they claim Muhammad never could have performed. I see a lot of common ground to build bridges with Muslims simply because of some of the things that they believe. And I'm not advocating becoming an expert in world religions, I'm just recommending being familiar with what people in your area of influence generally believe about God and creation. And Jesus and sin and heaven and hell in the Bible. Why? So you can have a, an intelligent, reasoned out conversation with them and defend the Christian faith. And I will say be careful because some religions use the same terms that we use. And you have to be very careful in what they mean when they may say the word God. It may not mean the same thing that you think of when you think of God. When they say salvation, it may not be the same thing that, that you think of as salvation. Or when they say heaven or hell, it may be something different compared to Scripture. So that's why we practice. That's how to prepare. And now I'm going to share with you how to practice. 1 Peter 3, 15. Let me read it again. Set apart the Messiah as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you you. The first part of that verse says, sanctify, set Christ apart in your hearts. The word there, sanctify, is from the Greek word hagiazo. It means to set apart. It comes from the same root word as holy. So to sanctify God in our heart is to regard God as holy, is to treat him as holy. And holiness is one of the main themes of 1 Peter. If you read 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 Peter says, Be holy in all of your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy, speaking about God. And to be holy is to be different. And to live a life of holiness can only be done when we sanctify and set apart the Lord God in our hearts. Scripture makes it very clear that the heart is the origin of human behavior, and from our heart flows everything we do. So when we set apart the Lord in our hearts, it will be evident in our lives, meaning that we are allowing Christ to live his life of holiness (coughs) in us and through us. And unless we set apart Jesus as Lord in our hearts, our Christian faith makes no sense. The Christian life doesn't work because the Christian life is about living in Jesus. It's about living for Jesus. It's about living with Jesus and setting apart Christ in our heart, it's not a private matter. It is a public reality, meaning our inner life and our outer life are inseparable because whatever is on the inside is going to be manifested on the outside for all the world to see. And if we don't allow Jesus to be our Lord, if we don't set him apart in our hearts, if we're not living for Christ, if we're not living out our faith, if we're not living a life of holiness it's going to be very difficult to share our faith and defend our faith. How can we defend the one we're not living for? How can we defend a faith that we're not living ourselves? How can you tell others they need to believe what you're not even living? You see, in order to defend our faith, we have to demonstrate that our faith is worth defending. And that is only done by setting Christ apart in our hearts, in our lives, and living a life of holiness. If we're going to defend our faith, our lives must be a validation of our beliefs. And we can't allow our life to negate our words. You know, if you say you believe all these things in Scripture, but your life doesn't show it, those around you are going to wonder whether or not you truly believe it. And we can't allow our life to negate our words because it will ruin our witness. And it will turn the very people that we are trying to win to Christ away from Christ. So how do we practice? The first thing you've got to do is you've got to set apart Jesus as Lord in your heart. You've got to sanctify your heart and, and commit to living a life of holiness. Then we have to supply a defense. He says, always be prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. I mentioned earlier, apologia means to give a defense or rationale or reasoning for what you believe. But Peter also says it means to give a defense of your faith by what you are communicating through how you live your life. You see, here Peter is making it clear that defending the gospel that defending our faith is not just about the arguments or the evidence we use. It's also about the life that we live. In this verse, Peter assumes that, that we are living our life that is based on the lordship of Jesus Christ in such a way that it will point to the hope that we have in us. And in writing to Christians who are suffering, Peter speaks about living a life of hope. You see, outwardly, these people have little reason to have hope. These people have little reason to to, to rejoice because of the suffering and the persecution they're experiencing. But Peter says, because of Christ living in them, they were displaying hope in their lives, even when the outward circumstances seemed hopeless. And it's likely by the life that they lived that people would ask them, why do you have so much joy Why do you have so much peace? Why do you have such hope under the circumstances that you are experiencing? And Peter is saying that when people ask us these kinds of questions, that we should be ready and able to give them an answer, to to give a defense for our hope and our joy. And when people ask us these kinds of questions, it opens a door for us to share with someone the hope of Jesus. It's a great opportunity to share our faith. But be prepared as you share that one question that that may lead to another. You may have to explain why you believe what you believe more and more. So it's important for us to understand that how we live our lives gives us opportunities to share why we live the way that we do. This is why it's so important for our behavior to match our beliefs. So apologetics is just not about what we know. But it's also about how we live. And how we live our lives may make a difference in how others live theirs. Wayne Grudem, who's a professor of theology, he authored a a systematic theology book. He said this, The inward hope of Christians results in lives so noticeably different that unbelievers are prompted to ask why they are so distinctive. Let me read that again. The inward hope of Christians results in lives so noticeably different that unbelievers are prompted to ask why they are so distinctive. Wayne Grudem is saying that as Christians we should live our lives in such a different way from the world that people take notice and ask us why we're living that way. And that's exactly what Peter is is encouraging the Christians who are suffering persecution to do. There's a great illustration of this. There's a story of a Christian businessman. He was leading a a weekly Bible study for presidents of a major corporation in a particular city. And through this Bible study, the president of a large large corporation gave his life to Jesus. And he continued coming to the study, but but out in the, the, the corporate world, he remained a secret Christian. He didn't want anyone to find out about the commitment that he made. And as he began to grow spiritually, he found it more and more difficult to hide the fact that he was a believer. And his life continued to change outwardly, and people took notice as the influence of Christ was impacting how he lived his life. And his associates and his friends, they were asking what was wrong with him? What happened to him? Why was he so different? And one day in desperation, he asked his friends in the Bible study this. He said, isn't it possible... To live the Christian life in secret? To that question, one of his wise friends replied, Friend, it's impossible for you to have Jesus living within you without some of him leaking out. This is exactly what Peter is teaching. We are to live in such a way that the love and the joy and the peace and the hope of Jesus Christ leaks out of our lives and people wonder why we are different. And when that happens, we must be ready to give an answer to those who ask about it. And we must be willing to share the love and the joy and the peace and the hope of Jesus Christ with others. You see, we're not to resist the hope. We're not to hide the hope or ignore the hope of Jesus that is living within us. Instead, we are to share the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. Last thing I want to share Not only do we need to sanctify Christ in our hearts, not only do we need to supply an answer or supply a defense, finally, we need to share it well. The last part of the verse, he says, uh, starting in verse 16, however, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear. As we share with others and defend our faith, we must do so with the Spirit of Christ. Defending our faith its not a reason to behave arrogantly or, or rudely toward others. We're not to be self-righteous. We're not to argue for the sake of arguing or to prove our point. We're not to beat people down with Scripture. When we beat people down with Scripture, this will repel people away from the gospel instead of attracting them to it. And instead, we are to lift people up with Scripture. You know, a great example of this is is the the, the street preachers that go to the college campuses. They've already been at EKU and they go around with a megaphone yelling and screaming at students that they're going to go to hell and that they're worthless if they don't give their life to Jesus. That's not the way the gospel is to be presented. You're supposed to show people the love of Christ by sharing the love of Christ with them in love, not yelling at them and berating them because guess what? We were just like those people one time. We were lost, we were without Jesus, but someone shared Jesus with us in love and showed us gentleness and respect and didn't yell at us with a megaphone telling us how horrible we were and we were going to hell. And even though that may be true, that's not the way to present the gospel. We're to share the love of Jesus with His love. We're to share it in love, as Peter said here, with gentleness and respect. And like Jesus, we're to be kind, we're to be gracious, we're to be gentle. We need to respond to others with respect. And like Jesus, we are never to force our way into the lives of others, and we are to lovingly meet people at their point of need. You may take years for you to win someone to Christ because of their beliefs. It may be years before you break down those barriers and they see that the gospel is real. Be patient with people. Treat them with gentleness and respect and meet them where they are. And if we're going to be effective in defending our faith and sharing Christ with others, Peter says we're not only supposed to do it with gentleness and respect, but we're to do it with a clear conscience. See, that clear conscience goes back to holy living. You see, the only way we can have a clear conscience The only way we can have a good conscience is through godly behavior, by denying the works of the flesh and walking in the Spirit of Christ. And when we respond to others with gentleness and respect and with a clear conscience, Peter says they will be put to shame. What does he mean by that? What Peter is saying is, as we share with others with gentleness and respect and a clear conscience, the Holy Spirit will use our conduct. Meaning they will notice the difference in our lives as a conviction in their lives. And through how we live our lives and through treating them with gentleness and respect, the Holy Spirit will convict them of their need to give their life to Christ and accept His truth. You see, there is no doubt that every believer is called to be an apologist. Every believer is called to be a defender of the faith. Every believer is called to be grounded in Scripture and to be able to to articulate the gospel clearly and plainly. And apologetics is not just a defense of of criticism of Christianity, but it also builds a strong case for Christianity itself. And it shows that in light of truth that Christianity is real and all their other belief systems are false. And apologetics is not about us. It's not about proving that we're right and others are wrong. It's about sharing what Jesus has done for us. It's about opening the minds and ultimately the hearts of others to the truth of the gospel. So in giving a defense of our faith, our primary purpose is not just to share knowledge and show how smart we are, But as Peter said, it's to provide a reason for our hope by sharing why we believe what we believe and by demonstrating the impact the gospel has had on our own lives. And so my prayer by the end of this series is that you'll be able to say not just I know what I believe, but I know why I believe what I believe. If you're here this morning and never given your life to Jesus, I invite you to do that. And I encourage you to recognize that Jesus is the truth. That He is the only way to have a relationship with God. He is the only way to have your sins forgiven. And you can have that relationship with Him and your sins forgiven in the eternity of the promise of heaven by placing your faith and trust in Him. And if you have given your life to Jesus, is your life a validation of your beliefs? Does your inner life Match your outer life. Do others see Jesus leaking out of you? And does the hope that you have within you make such a difference in your life? That others are asking you, what's the difference? If not, what needs to change in your life today? And understand, before you talk to someone about your faith with Jesus, make sure you're living for Jesus. As we go through this series, ask God to open your mind and, and your heart to his truth and to give you understanding and the boldness to give a defense of your faith to others. And maybe you're here this morning and you need to make other decisions for Christ. Maybe you need to be baptized. You've given your life to Jesus but never followed him in baptism. Maybe God's calling you to join our church and fellowship and become a member. Or maybe there's other things in your life that God is dealing you, with you about. Whatever you need to do, this altar is going to be open. I'll be down at the front. If you need to talk to me, I'll be available. If you want me to pray with you, I'll be available. But we want you to respond in obedience to Jesus this morning based on his word and his truth. And I'm sure he wants every single one of us who claim him, who believe in him, to live out his truth daily in our lives so we can be a witness to others. Of the truth of the gospel. And we can defend our faith. Let's pray. Father we just come before you today. And we just thank you for your word. God we thank you that your word is truth. God we thank you that Jesus is the only way. And Father I know we live in a culture. That that is godless. That denies your truth. That denies the existence of God. Denies the, the trustworthiness of scripture. And Father I pray that. That you would give us the words to say when we talk to others, God, about the truth of Scripture, God. And Father, I pray that we would live our lives in such a way that Jesus would leak out of us and people would notice that we are different and they would say, why are you so different from everyone else? Father, may we understand that the moment we committed our life to you, God, that we became a Christian apologist God, Peter said that we are to always give a defense of the hope that is living within us. Meaning there is never a moment that we are to deny the hope that we have in Jesus. And Father, I pray that our beliefs would match our behavior. And, our, and, our, and, our, and, our, and our, what we do, Father, would not negate what we say. Father, if there's one here this morning who doesn't know you, I pray today they would realize that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And the only way they can have a relationship with God is through you. And this morning they'd say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Father, for those of us who are believers, God, give us a a deeper desire and a deeper understanding to know why we believe what we believe. Give us a desire, Father, to to go deeper in your word. Father, give us a desire to never stop learning. Give us a desire, Father, to be bold in our faith, to be bold in our evangelism, Father. God, and we just thank you for your word this morning. And God, we just pray that your word would transform hearts and transform lives. And Father, be with us during this time of commitment. And may each one of us respond in obedience to you. We love you. We praise you, and it's your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing. If you need to come to the altar, this altar will be open for you, and I'll be down front.